I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that legal on this? I like football. I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We're back and live here on YouTube. It's time to preview all things week 14 in the NFL. Y'all set up? You're in the good spot there? Yeah. Get the yeah, mic? The mic was in a weird spot, but I, I've moved it. We're good. All right, so yesterday on the show, we didn't have a guest, but we did preview Thursday Night Football, Las Vegas Raiders, and the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, it looks like, it sounds like, Baker Mayfield could actually get the start. Like, he just got off the plane. Yeah. They're handing him uh, 48 hours after receiving the playbook. He might be the starting quarterback for the Los Angeles Rams behind the worst offensive line in the NFL and with no receivers to throw to. What could go wrong? Quite a lot of things, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. What if less is more? They just run six plays and that's it. I mean, look, if if you're looking for a silver lining, (laughs) the Raiders defense doesn't have anything to prepare for. Oh, there you go. Well, there you go. And the Rams offense hasn't practiced anything. So it goes both ways. It should be fun. Uh, Raiders favored by six here in this game. We did make our picks yesterday. I think we both took the Raiders to cover. But we'll see. John Wolford's going to be a game-time decision. Mm-hmm. And then it would go to Baker Mayfield. But as a neck injury. So, you know. Necks aren't good. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're good to have. Yeah, yeah they're good to Not have. Not good to injure. Not at all. So uh, yesterday we previewed that. And we had a lot of other fun discussions that you should go check out if you haven't either a nice crisp one hour show yesterday for the pff nfl podcast but today um this one actually could be crisp too because six teams are on a bye here in uh, december very weird yeah i went when i was putting in the the document i like i got to the end had completed all the games I was like wait th- this is a weird how there must be more but no it was all the games yeah there's only 13 games mm. this week so we're going to be out of here in under four hours. Maybe. Let's start with AFC East rematch here. New York Jets at the Buffalo Bills. The Jets won the first time around. They did. A few weeks ago with Zach Wilson. Yes. At quarterback for the Bill uh, for the, uh, for the Jets. The Bills are favored by nine and a half here. We've had a lot of Bills discussion the last couple of days, in part because Von Miller is out for the season with the ACL, PFF NFL Daily today. Um, little discussion on the podcast yesterday, but... This particular game, what are you looking for? Bills favored by nine and a half here against the Jets. It's pretty funny how quickly that unspooled, by the way, for Zach Wilson. We go from like, oh, signs of life, actual, you know, productive game plan against the Bills, got the ball out of his hands fast, you know, took advantage of what was there. And then what, two weeks later? It's like... I think they had a buy, then the Patriots game where he was a, a disaster, and then he's benched. Yeah. And then it's two weeks later, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. take a seat now. See ya. You're out of here. Yeah, and just to remind people what happened in that Bills game uh, on both sides, right? Zach Wilson had a very efficient game. It was the quickest he got rid of the ball in his NFL career from a time-to-throw standpoint. They did it with a lot of screens, a lot of RPOs. And then in crunch time, he hit a slant for a first down, which was huge. (laughs) I mean, this was like, what were the positives for Zach Wilson? It wasn't really the entire game. He did fumble because of Von Miller and all this stuff, but he hit a key slant, picked up a couple first downs with his legs, threw a screen pass as a game winner to uh, Michael Carter, and on the other side, and this is what I'm watching for this week, this was the Josh Allen pitches the ball to the defense, Mm -hmm. as you like to say. But it was, um, again, I'm very cautious here because Jets fans have a very sensitive ear this year. 
Okay. There were some unforced <clears throat> Josh Allen errors in this. The Jets' defense is really good. They've been great this season. But when you talk about the the turnovers that Allen had in this game early in the red zone, I mean, there's just it's just there's a linebacker in the flat and you threw it right to him. That wasn't necessarily great defense. That was just a terrible decision. Allen turned the ball over in this game with some really poor choices. And to me, that's if he doesn't do that, the Bills are winning this game. Yeah, but that was Zach Wilson. Now we got Mike White, you know, and and we, we don't have Von Miller anymore. So all of a sudden, you look at the, the breakdown between the two teams. I think the Jets now have a better pass rush than Buffalo does. The Bills started the season with arguably the best pass rush in the NFL. Neither one of these two teams blitzes. It's all how the front four gets pressure. The Bills were number one in pressure rate for a while. They're now down at 10th, I think, or 9th and, and falling. The Jets are 5th. Um, Jets do officially have a higher pass rush grade as well on the entire season. Just They're third in the NFL, just ahead of the Bills at four. Yeah, so the Jets, I think, have a better pass rush. They also have Sauce Gardner, who isn't just defensive rookie of the year, who's one of the the all-pro caliber um, corners in the NFL. He's, he's a first-team all-pro through three quarters of the season. He had the game-ending pass breakup in the first match. Correct. Um, you would immediately look at it and say, well, Buffalo's receivers are way better. But all of a sudden... Mike White unlocks Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore. Maybe New York has a deeper receiving core than the Bills do, who rely so heavily on Stephon Diggs for everything. Um, obviously, the Bills have the advantage of quarterback, but Josh Allen has had these turnover-prone games, one of which was against the Jets. And then offensive line, that's probably like the Jets' offensive line is getting better. Buffalo's isn't, so that's getting closer as well. I just think that the first time we saw this game, it was close. The second time, there's reason to think that the Jets are better and the Bills are worse. Wow. So I think it will also be close. All right. You're trying to talk me back into this. I already did my picks. Yeah. I put them all in. I did my 30-second. Just just pick a team. Bam. Well, I mean, it served you well last week. What was I, 8-7 and seven or something? Yes. You had a winning record for the first time since week four. <clears throat> so and if I was putting money down, I would put money on the eight, the wins. Not the losses. Oh, so, okay. Feel good about what I did last week. Yeah, so I, I'm going to go my my first instinct again, which was which was the Bills. But I feel like you're talking me back into this. Um, the white, but the, the white Mike, white the Mike. Mike White factor. That's uh, my kids do that a lot. They flip. They call uh, toilet paper paper toilet sometimes. You know, just flip the flip yeah. the words. Uh, the Mike White Mike White factor. <laughs> yeah, is a big one because I can't even say it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what it does to everybody else. Like, Garrett Wilson looks like an all-pro receiver with anybody other than Zach Wilson throwing him the ball. That's huge. Um, and, you know, Buffalo's defense, Buffalo's coverage is really good, but they don't necessarily have a Sauce Gardner yet. I know Tredavious White is back, but they're kind of working him back in. He's not, I don't think, 100% or up to his best form yet. So the best cornerback in this game plays for the Jets. Maybe the best two. Um so if you have unlocked a guy like Garrett Wilson, I mean, that changes the dynamic of the pass game. Mike White has only a handful of starts in his career, yeah. however. And the worst one came against Buffalo. Yes. Right. So last year, similar time in the season, a little bit earlier in the season, it was like, hey, Mike White comes in. He you know, tore it up against the Bengals, the eventual AFC champion Bengals. Um, gets hurt in his next start against the Colts. Comes back the following week against the Bills and throws four interceptions and has a PFF grade of 46 in that game. Yeah. So um, are we going to see something similar here where the first game of Mike White was was really good? 81 grade, he's 22 for 28, 11 yards per attempt, 
He's getting rid of the ball quickly um, against Minnesota last week. It was a little bit more hit or miss, but even in a game that was uh, more inconsistent, he missed a few more throws. He still had a few big-time throws and almost led that comeback against against the Vikings, right? Had a, a 65 grade. It's not terrible. It's through for 369 yards. And the point that we keep hammering over and over again is Garrett Wilson is getting targets. And if you just put the ball in the vicinity, vicinity of Garrett Wilson – We've seen him make one-handed catches, even if they didn't count. Like there was, mm. We saw him turn a, probably a 15-yarder into a 60-yarder last week. There are special plays to be made there. Garrett Wilson, did you make a Stephon Diggs comp for him coming out? But there are elements yeah. to Stephon Diggs here where you see Diggs just make special plays and take over games. Garrett Wilson has that ability, to your point earlier. Yeah. I mean, if Mike White just avoids throwing four interceptions like the last time he played the Bills, they're in a good spot. Yeah, basically, that, whichever quarterback throws three or more interceptions is probably losing this game. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's my analysis here. It, yeah, that's good. That's good analysis. Thanks. You know, you, you got to win in the red zone. You've got to uh, win the turnover battle. Always is what you have to do. Yeah. But then uh, it is nice every Sunday you get one of those. This is the first time a team has had three turnovers, 100 yards of offense, missed an extra point, and won by 20. You know, it, it's it's a year where that type of stuff happens, right? Like those random years um, against the Jets back in Week Nine. Josh Allen. Um, just to reiterate, only 205 passing yards, two interceptions, four turnover-worthy plays in that game. There was a fumble in there as well. So to me, that's the difference. It was his second-worst grade of the season. His worst came in Miami, where it was 120 degrees. Second-worst came against this good Jets defense, where, again, he kept throwing the ball to the defense or putting the ball in harm's way. Since that point, Allen has been much better. But Allen now has one, two, three, four, five, five out of his last six games with multiple turnover-worthy plays mm -hmm. for Josh Allen. So, yeah, that's the key in today's game here, or Sunday's game. Um, I'm still going Buffalo by the 9.5. I think I think the QB advantage, and I'm going to bank on Allen not turning the ball over as much as he has. Yeah, that's possible. Potentially I, turning it over. So. I'm going to say that Mike White just doesn't have an absolute stinker again, and if he doesn't have a truly terrible game, I think this is a much closer game than 9.5, 10 points. You also saw my picks and picked the opposite here, which did. Uh, well, that didn't help me. <clears throat> that didn't help me last week. I went. I had a losing record for the first time in a while. Now back to back. Uh, no, for back to back, but the first time I put it. Uh, yeah, six and nine. So that didn't do me any good. I mean, if you take out my two and fourteen week, yeah, and a couple of the five win weeks, and the four and ten, and the four and ten, yeah, I'm probably about five hundred. Yeah, I mean, if you take out roughly forty-five games, yeah. you're you're five hundred. There we go. You should listen to me. All right, let's get to the next game. Tampa Bay Bucks at the San Francisco 49ers. The Niners are favored by three and a half with Brock Purdy at quarterback. Brock Purdy. The, uh, the market is not buying into the Bucks' five-minute offense. They no. spent a whole game scoring three points and then yeah. five minutes scoring two touchdowns. Justifiably, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, the Bucks' offense versus the Niners' defense has a chance to be a little one-sided. Unless – are, are, are the – I mean – your uh, beached whale thing or whatever. Yeah, exploding like, whale. Exploding whale. Like, uh -huh. The Bucks have to explode at some point, right? Offensively, well, just no, the offense? They're not, they're not dead yet. Okay, they're not dead. They're still alive. They come alive in the second half. See, the, the whale has to be Something. dead so that it can decompose. Yeah, maybe next year it'll be dead. I mean, this is a, it's a fascinating matchup. Uh, Storyline-wise, it, it was supposed to be Brady versus Garoppolo for the first time. Uh, Brady grew up a 49ers fan and Joe Montana and all that stuff. I don't think he's played in San Francisco since 2016 or so. 
and that may have been the only time he played in San Francisco because he was I think he was injured the other time they went there so this is like big big return home for Tom Brady no Garoppolo Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy the last pick in the draft who looked pretty good the other day what are you looking for in this one um I want to see how the Bucks try and attack Brock Purdy so it's one thing well you know the answer there what Todd Bowles blitz yeah but but how specifically I mean Purdy was doing some reasonably impressive things in terms of full field reads. You know, they they didn't dumb down the offense to some sort of gimmick idiot version for him when he came in. He ran the offense and did it yeah. pretty well. So, yeah, with with a little bit of time to prepare, knowing that it's going to be Brock Purdy, what does Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay defense do to attack that beyond simply where we're just going to load up against the blitz and go after him? The blitz, so I looked up the blitz numbers. Uh, that was where Purdy did have his one interception. Uh, against the blitz he had a 46 grade against the blitz um i also looked up the niners epa per play against the blitz Mm -hmm. and it's actually it's this is interesting it's gotten higher every single year since 2018. Hmm. for whatever reason shanahan's offense um because i was i was looking for something that said hey garoppolo is better against the blitz than cj bathard the backup or (laughs) nick mullins the backup yeah and there's not necessarily anything there garoppolo played a full season in 2019, 21, and up until this season, and his numbers continued to get better. So the entire offense just seemed to get better against the Blitz. And I think that perhaps coincides with their playmakers, right? We talk about beating the Blitz is about the quarterback making quick decisions, knowing where to go with the ball, but you need somebody to be open. And the Niners have never been more equipped to have somebody open right now than having Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, use check and of course Christian McCaffrey right where they they pick and choose when they're going to create mass mismatches with him and then other times it's just hey get to McCaffrey on the check down mm-hmm. I will say the Purdy interception though if you look at it I believe it was McCaffrey blowing the blitz pickup so there's a guy right in Purdy Purdy's face McCaffrey goes out on the route doesn't block him and it forced the underthrow and I I, I think that's where Todd Bowles is going to say McCaffrey's somewhat new to the offense. Purdy's, you know, make him continue to make good decisions against the Blitz. So I think you might see some big plays from the Niners where Purdy reads it right. But this could be the first time in a long time where the Bucks defense actually might be able to force a few turnovers, force some errant throws from Purdy. Have you officially used your one designated Purdy pun yet? No. You know, that was a Purdy throw? That kind of thing? No, I've not. Okay. So I don't know if I'm going to use it this week. I might save it. Do you get one a week or is it? No, no, no one. You get one. We'll see. If he does make a Purdy throw this week, then I'll, I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably tweet it. Yeah, I save, I save my dad jokes for, uh, for Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. And you seem to think I'm morphing into. Uh, would Magic Johnson even use that pun, or would he just say that's a pretty? Thing? Oh, Magic Johnson would never use a pun. He would never use a pun. No. So that'd be one way for me to separate myself from Magic, since you think my that's what my account's morphing into. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Does Magic know? Magic, no, I, I don't How know. Magic's there's, account is well. There's a there's a soccer account. There's a, a footballer called James Milner, and there's a Twitter account that's boring James Milner, where it's like, I got back from training today. I, I made a cup of tea and sat down and watched some TV. That's like the tweet. It's about the whole account is just like a parody of literally just describing the most boring things in, in the world because that was the yeah that was what it was thought that this guy was like. And then he became aware of the boring James Miller Twitter account and started to kind of play into it. And then, you know, oh, nice. I don't think, I don't know that Magic's that self-aware. No, probably not yet. Like, great win by the Lakers. Hmm. The Lakers are good. 
All right, let's get back to this game here. Um, three and a half points. Is that correct, right? The Niners are this Super Bowl caliber team. Would this be a touchdown if it was Jimmy Garoppolo? I mean, would it be six, six and a half? Probably, right? If it was Garoppolo at quarterback? Yeah. Has Brady ever been that big of an underdog? Oh, I don't know. I mean, Brady returning to San Francisco, coming off the big Monday night win, rejuvenated. Rejuvenated. Yeah. That's what we're going with there. Yeah. That's why I went I went Brady in the Bucks here. Brady in the Bucks. At some point, Brady, Purdy's going to look like a... So I think this was like six a and a half before the injuries changed it. Fascinating. I mean, the, the Niners' defense is legit. Um, we saw what they did to the Dolphins outside of a couple plays, a couple explosive plays. Um, the Bucks' offense, I, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record every single week, but they still have the pieces, right? I mean, yeah. that, that's what's interesting about that last drive, right? They're throwing back shoulders to Julio Jones, right? But I think what we're seeing is it has the pieces, but it's not going to just come together unless something changes in the offense. Yeah. And, and that can be as much as we're going to run hurry up a lot because that's the only way the offense is functioning is essentially taking out the middle, you know, where we make a mess of it and call plays and stuff. If we just let Tom Brady and the guys that are good play well, then maybe we'll get going somewhere. Um, the other thing, by the way, in this game is, just like last week, Nick Bosa versus either of those tackles yeah. for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tristan Wirfs is still out. Honestly, his replacement might not be the worst uh, tackle at this point. Donovan Smith is playing badly, and either one of those guys Josh trying, Wells. To, trying to block Nick Bosa feels like a disaster. If you want a proxy for that, in the Cleveland game a couple weeks ago where you know the Browns don't have the best defense in the world, the Bucs were stymied at about halfway through the game, unable to move the ball. Yeah. In on a couple key plays, Miles Garrett just dominated Donovan Smith. They had no help for him. Yep. That's the other thing, too. Schematically, yeah, you have to do something to mm -hmm. slow down Nick Bosa, right? Um, again, the Bucks, the Bucks are starting to get healthier at receiver. Russell Gage came back. They used Scotty Miller. They're rolling five deep at receiver. The pieces are there. I'm interested to see if they don't just use Julio Jones as like, hey, we'll take a couple deep shots with him. We'll actually get him more involved. Mike Evans was um, not really involved a ton, despite not having Marshawn Lattimore the other night. Like the pieces are there. We'll see how much they put back on Brady's plate here. I'll take the Bucks to cover the three and a half, though. I'll take San Francisco. I want to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks. It's uh, a great new way to uh, to play daily. Uh, sorry, to play daily fantasy. Hmm. Yeah. So you've been doing this a lot, making your picks every single week. Yeah, they've got pretty much everything you can think of, including, you know, Kyler's uh, favorite thing. You can you can make your picks on Call of Duty. You can make your picks on, like, e-games, e-sports, that kind of thing. But NFL, obviously, is the one we're most focused on at PFF. Um, you go in there, you select your, uh, your projection, which you like. Derek Carr over here, whether he'll get more or less than 247 and a half passing yards. Um, you can dial yourself up a little uh, a little slate, and then you don't even have to get them all right. You can pick the the one that gets you the maximum return, where you need to nail everything, or you can have a little, uh, little each-way action where you can even miss one and still get a, a payout. All right, so here's how it works. You pick two to five players, and if, they will, if they, and if they will score more or less than their prize picks projection, right? So you can win up to 10 times your money on any entry. It's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. So this does include NFL, NBA, MLB, 
NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, eSports, as you said, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, mm -hmm. and more. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy, safe and fast withdrawals, and they are currently operational in over 30 states in the entire country of Canada. Entire so, country of Canada. Yeah. So check out Prize Picks. You download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up to play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code PFF1. So if you deposit $100, you get $100. If you deposit 50, you get 50. The promo code's PFF1. Don't forget to enter it at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. PFF1. All right, let's go. Miami Dolphins at the Los Angeles Chargers. The Dolphins are favored at uh, in LA by three and a half. Mm -hmm. It's Sunday night football. Uh, we'll talk about the flex decision. Flexed into Sunday night football. Yes. They, uh, they flexed Mahomes out. They did. To have two versus Herbert. Let's just back up just a little bit here. Just a little bit. 2020 draft. Mm -hmm. You have Joe Burrow go number one overall. You do. Seem to be the consensus number one. Hey, it's yep. going to be Joe Burrow coming off his Heisman and national championship at LSU. And then I think most of the consensus had Tua as the number two quarterback. And we were debating, you know, who should take Tua? Should the, should the Lions? Should this is the, the first matchup, right, between the two? This is the first matchup between the two. Tua versus Herbert. And the reports were that the Chargers at six really wanted Tua, Right. I think it was six. And we've had two years of everybody saying, everybody that thought the Tua was good as an idiot, everyone that didn't think that Herbert was good as an idiot, well, and now this year, Herbert's struggling relatively, still obviously good, but all of a sudden Tua's playing out of his mind in this offense, yeah. and now nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything. Everyone's an idiot. Yes, we're all dumb. We're all, we're all wrong. Um, so Tua ends up going to, my, uh, to Miami at five, and the Chargers at six. I believe that was the the breakdown. Yep. And it felt like the Chargers uh, maybe didn't get their guy until you saw Herbert play. And, and they're completely different types of quarterbacks too, right? You've got Herbert who's taller, big, bigger, faster, stronger. And of course, remember, he wasn't even supposed to start, you know, as a rookie for yeah. a long time. And then Tyrod gets stabbed. Punctures Tyrod's yeah. lung. And all of a sudden he's thrown out there. And oh, wow, it turns out the quarterback is, that we drafted is amazing. And he looks great. Let's roll. So, you know, Herbert who has a cannon for an arm. Very athletic and, and all that versus Tua, whose arm hasn't looked very good in the NFL from a velocity standpoint, but is supposed to rely more on accuracy and decision-making. Um, Herbert, clearly the better quarterback through two years. Yep. This year, the script has flipped just mm -hmm. a little bit. Now, as always, a lot of fuzzies, you know, fuzzy gray areas here in, uh, in quarterback valuation. Tua just got Tyree Kill into town mm -hmm. to go with Jalen Waddell and Mike McDaniel. And Herbert's been working with third and fourth string receivers for much of the season, backup tackles and the whole deal. So it's a fascinating matchup here. Tua versus Herbert, Sunday night football in Miami, favored right now by three and a half. Yeah, my big concern is the same as it was last week, which is Teron Armstead, I think, is still going to be out. He hasn't practiced yet this week. Um, if he's And Tua's got a dinged up ankle as well, I think probably off the back of that. But again, if Armstead's not playing... It changes this offense. Like the drop-off between Armstead and anybody else they're going to throw out there at left tackle is so big that it changes how that offense needs to function. And, okay, maybe the Chargers can't do what the 49ers do in terms of bringing a Nick Bosa to the table. Um, 
but it's such a big change that I think it functionally changes how that offense exists. And at that point, there's no way I'm taking Miami at three and a half points. Uh, we also have the uh, we have another injury. Oh yeah, what happened here, Stephen? Uh, number three on the Chargers is questionable with the quad. The player. Day to day, the player. Well, that shouldn't have happened unless somebody named him on this podcast out loud yeah, for the people to hear. I jumped the gun. Like you. Yeah. So you, you did it. You, I was mad at the Chargers. You they, they had fallen to 500, and I was thinking, What's, you guys have let me down again for the 15th straight year where I believed in you, and the, the Chargers made me mad, and I said his name, and two weeks later he's on the, he's on the list. Yeah, you, you jinxed him again. He'll play. He'll play, right? Hmm. He'll, hopefully, hopefully the player will play. I'm just, you know, this is a lesson. Can, can I make a quick aside on the QB evaluation front? Okay. For a minute. I, the, the Tua Herbert thing is going to be, because there's, there's been a lot of Herbert Burrow debate yeah. for a while, right? And I, I think the Goff, Wentz, Dak class is the perfect example. I've said this on the show many times, but the perfect example of quarterback evaluation isn't just this guy's one, this guy's two, this guy's three. There were points where Wentz was the top quarterback in a given season over Goff and Dak. There were points where Goff was the best quarterback, right? The first year was Dak. Second year was Wentz. The third year was Goff, who went to the Super Bowl. Then it became Dak pretty much every year from then after. On. It settled in to finally being Dak Prescott. So if you're a guy that was like, oh, I knew this from day one. I always said Dak Prescott was the best. That's fine. But there were years where Dak was the third best quarterback out of Goff and Wentz, right? And I mean, so it's not just... Yeah. Now, in Mahomes' case, he's clearly the best quarterback between yeah. him, Deshaun Watson, and Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, you, you can make the same argument for the 2018 group, right? Week, or year one, Baker Mayfield had the best rookie year. Year two, Lamar Jackson was a unanimous MVP. And then year three onwards, it's been Josh, it's been Allen, Josh Allen pretty comfortably. Right. So it's, it's just, it's not always this, here's the ranking, here's how they always are. Things tend to fluctuate a little bit. Now, if you said a year ago, hey, we're going to be debating Tua Herbert again, like we did a, a couple of years ago, I'd say, hey, that's, that's a big jump for Tua. Yeah. And, uh, but that's where we are, right? This is Herbert's lowest graded season, and it's by far Tua's best, mm -hmm. right? And so just trying to um, evaluate quarterbacks is always just, uh, just a fun exercise. Um, the coaching matchup here too is fascinating because is Mike McDaniel what Brandon Staley was supposed to be? Yeah, flavor of the month against flavor of last month. Yeah, who nobody wants anymore. Well, years ago, flavor of yeah, last yeah. year, man. But you know, last month metaphorically, <sighs> early last year. But um, that's the you know that's the question for me. McDaniel, he's got all these fun quotes on the sideline. He's you know he says funny things and. But also on the field, he's, he's aggressive when he needs to be, and he's, he schemes up good offense the same way he did in San Francisco. He schemes up open throws. He schemes up the run game. He does a great job, whereas Staley has uh, changed from a decision-making standpoint this year, you know, not, not as aggressive from a fourth-down decision-making standpoint, but also Staley looks like a defensive genius coming from the Rams, mm -hmm. and that hasn't been the case. They've been... They've invited the run, which is good probably tactically, but not when you're giving up five and a half per carry, right? It's, it, they have not executed defensively like we probably expected Staley to, be, to have the Chargers on that side of the ball. No, and it hasn't improved that much. You know, they've, they've added a lot of players to that defense, and 
the you know JC Jackson was a disaster until they finally pivoted to a, 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 a role for him that he's more comfortable in. Then no sooner did they do that that he lost, got himself injured and lost for the season. Um, Asante Samuel Jr. has made a lot of plays, but he hasn't really kicked on to be the kind of player uh, they thought he would have been, I think, when they drafted him. The additions up front haven't necessarily worked or dominated the way we thought they would. Khalil Mack is playing well, but not out of his mind. Maybe he just doesn't have enough help, help around him. But point being, overall, you look at all the additions to this team, this defense, you're like, why, why is it not taking a pretty big step forward this year? And it hasn't. Yeah. It hasn't. So Dolphins have the number four graded offense in the NFL for us. They're number two in explosive pass plays. Assuming two is going to play, where are you going in this one? Uh, I said uh, the Chargers are going to – there's no way Miami covers three and a half with Armstead out. Yeah, I went with the Chargers with my first instincts hour ago, hours ago. So I'm going to stick with the Chargers, covering the three and a half. I'm still believing in them for some reason, but home underdogs here. Yeah. Home underdogs. Should be a fun one, though. I'm kind of glad they flexed it out into uh, Sunday Night Football. Should be, should be a good matchup. Let's go Cleveland Browns at the Cincinnati Bengals. Bengals favored by six here. And Bengals coming off their huge game. Win against the Chiefs. My big question here, we've seen this before in the Zach Taylor era over here in Cincinnati. He's taken some heat through the years despite all the wins. Can they not have a letdown game here? It's always against Cleveland, too. It's Cleveland. It was my chance right? last year. And this is it, let, is it a letdown thing? Because it's not like Cleveland's been bad the last couple of years. Or is it just one of those in division matchups? much like Rams 49ers or whatever you want to pull out there where it's so one-sided because of matchups or familiarity or whatever it might be. I don't think Joe Burrow has beaten the Browns yet, right? I don't know. I think I'm correct in saying that. Um, Probably. So, yeah, it is, it's like, it is one of those questions. Is this, a, is this an actual advantage that for some reason the Browns have over the Bengals? Do they, are they a particularly difficult matchup or is this just noise? Um, I think generally most of these things are just noise. There's not actually Coach X is better than Coach Y, specifically that matchup, the styles make fights kind of idea that this is just a bad matchup. Because when you look at it, and when you sort of start identifying things that might be reasons the Browns beat the Bengals all the time, it doesn't even hold up like within the game. Because Miles Garrett against Jonah Williams should be a beatdown every game. And it, actually, Jonah Williams tends to do okay against Miles Garrett and keep him reasonably quiet. That's not why the Browns are beating the Bengals every time. The um, Browns are able to run the ball really well. They got a dominant offensive line. They got a dominant run game with Nick Chubb. Bengals have a pretty good run defense. Like, that's not a great reason for it either. I, I just don't think anything really holds up. It's just been the way it's broken down since apparently Joe Burrow arrived. In the, uh, in the Monday night game back in week eight, it started kind of slow for both sides, but then Cleveland just pulled away, man. 32 to 13, they won. Bengals scored a couple late, uh, a couple touchdowns late, but. It was, it was one of Jacoby Brissett's best games, you know, spreading the ball around. Everything that the Browns did offensively was successful. They had a great uh, pass-blocking grade in Cleveland. They you know, protected Brissett. Everything was good. And the Browns' defense, which had not been good to that point, had, had, that was their best game of the year by far against a really good Bengals offense. Um, here's what I'll say about the Bengals. I think uh, Mina Kimes had some numbers just to kind of confirm a lot of the stuff we talked about earlier this year, how the Bengals – we, we get – we tell stories here, Sam, right? We get caught up in <laughs> stories and narratives. You know, the, the Chiefs face too high and they struggle. I mean, that was the Bengals early in the year, right? Everybody was playing too high. Bengals didn't have answers. They struggled against cover two. 
I think Mina tweeted out EPA numbers where they went from worst to first, basically, early in the season to now. And you're seeing that, right? They're, they It looked like they made a very specific effort to get Tyler Boyd involved more over the middle of the field, working out of the slot. In recent weeks, T. Higgins has stepped up as uh, a true number one option, you know, a 1B to Jamar Chase 1A. We saw Jamar Chase play play again last week and, you know, make enough plays as well. But the Bengals are a better team than they were weeks ago. Do we weigh that in or do we weigh in the fact that Zach Taylor, who's overall done, I, he's had success, right? However you want to weigh that. The Bengals have had a lot of success, but if there's a, you know, a question, they've had these lulls in quote-unquote lesser games. But they big games, man. The Bengals are scary good. Yeah, they look really good. Um, and because I don't think that there's any signal in the noise of, of Cleveland beating them every time they play them recently, I think the Bengals are going to win this game. Um, the interesting thing, though, for Cleveland is how long does this rust last for Deshaun Watson? He looked like garbage last week. Yeah. Um, and I think most people expected there to be some pretty significant rust two years out of the game. Like, it has to be, right? But it's kind of unprecedented. Like, how long does that last? Does, is that a one-week thing? Is that three weeks? Is it the rest of the year? Like, how long does it take to get a quarterback back from the couch to high-level, high-level, like top five NFL quarterback after two years? I thought he looked a little better as the game went on the other day right I mean it was just speed of the game the way he handled the pass rush and all that stuff so it's definitely going to be a huge factor you could also say would be a lot of Brissett versus versus Watson comparisons here like he might not play as well as Brissett did I mean Brissett played outstanding in that Monday night game outside of I think it was a strip sack that um, he tried to throw it under pressure and put the ball on the ground other than that Brissett was wheeling and dealing if Watson plays like he did last week against Houston oh it's a blowout right it's not even a close game and there's every i mean there's a significant chance that happens like there's no guarantee whatsoever that that was just oh you need one game to knock the rust off and next week you're good like we that could be the same guy next week um or this week rather so if that happens cincinnati wins comfortably if you get something in the middle you know watson goes from splits the difference between last week and like the last time we saw him where he was a top five graded quarterback now it's a I think a closer game but Cincinnati still wins if you get like a legit Deshaun Watson game where all of a sudden you start to see what this could look like within Cleveland's offense now you're talking now now it's a battle all right what a interesting final schedule here for for the Bengals they have the Browns this week in what could be considered a letdown game after they beat the Chiefs they go to Tampa Bay to face the Bucks go to New England to face the Patriots I mean those can obviously those should be two tough games the Bills come here for Monday night football, and then they play the Ravens the last week of the season. I think you said before last week, we're going to learn a lot about yeah. the Bengals in this final stretch. This is the game to me that defines a lot of what they're going to be long-term. I think right now I'm buying into maybe there'll be that letdown. I'm going to, I guess I'm going to buy into the pattern that mm-hmm. there's going to be the letdown and Cleveland's going to cover the six. No, no signal in the noise, just noise. Oh, you switched it. Okay, because initially you had Cleveland. No, I didn't. I think you did. No, I didn't. It was exactly what I had. No, that's simply not true. All right. Well, if they if they do this, I'll, I'll continue to be a, a bigger believer in the Bengals. They're not going to have letdown games. I mean, they'll. Th- this game will determine if they're going to be a juggernaut for the next few years. <laughs> juggernaut. This game. Yes. Okay. This game against the Browns. All right. 
All right, Minnesota Vikings at the Detroit Lions. There are some spreads this week where on the surface they look a little suspect. Is this one of them? Detroit favored by two. Yeah. Like over the two lost Vikings. Right. The ten and two Vikings are not favored against the Detroit Lions. Um on the road. And look, you know, the home field advantage used to be worth three points. I think now it's probably worth closer to two, one and a half, something like that. Maybe even down as far as one, depending on who you talk to. So at the very minimum, Vegas thinks that these two teams are the same and the Lions are probably better on a neutral field. I, yeah. I, get, I get not loving Minnesota 10 and 2. I mean, we've talked about how, you know, the negative points differential at one point in the season, um, the fact that generally they're, they're overachieving relative to their record, 9 and 0 in one score games, all this kind of stuff. So I get dinging them a little bit overall taking it down all the way so that they're the same, if not worse, than the Lions, who aren't particularly good, feels like overkill. It's particularly weird when you connect it to last week's line for the Lions, where they were, I think, four-point underdogs to Jacksonville. So Vegas essentially is saying that Jacksonville is six points better than the Vikings, which doesn't make any sense to me. That part I don't get. The part about... If it's plus or minus a, a point here and there. And okay, they went and stomped Jacksonville. So, you know, Detroit got better. Yeah, there's new information. To, there's right, new information. Relative there, to a week ago. But it, but this point in the season, we're in week 14, right? Like Vegas is not swinging uh, point spreads by a dramatic degree on specific teams based off one week of information, right? This is all the kind of all the information baked into every NFL team in the Vegas lines at this point is really dialed in. You don't see monster swings in the line um, week to week. So the, the fact that Detroit went and stomped on Jacksonville doesn't explain why this line swings massively back in their direction. Like this, the information says that the Lions are probably a better team than the Vikings, despite being how many games back are they? Five? Yeah, 10 and two versus five and seven. Right. So it's a five game difference between the Vikings and the Lions. And look, I'm all for it. I, I did check the PFF app, which everybody should be getting, by the way. Go check out the PFF app. Look at the smart bets. Doesn't necessarily love the Vikings, right? That that instant right. reaction that like, oh, you got to jump on the Vikings, which is, uh, I guess it's down to one and a half. Did we have it at two in the document? Yeah. Down to one and a half now. Um, it's not saying pounce on the Vikings. A lot of people have pointed to the Vikings in their point differential. I don't know how you want to look at that, right? They're, they're plus 10, mm -hmm. right? And they're 10 and two. However... Do you want to overweigh the Eagles game where they lost by a million and the Cowboys game where they lost by a million? Because if you do take out their two losses, yes, they were bad. They were against probably the two best teams in the NFC. And then other than that, you could say the Vikings have... Been, it, they, yeah. they, the, the profile looks a lot more like a team that's 10-2 and two if, if you take out the two games, which, you know... I definitely understand not liking Minnesota as much as 10-2, and two, right? But even if you just look at like the component elements, it doesn't make sense for the Lions to be favored. Right now... Our overall power ranking spot in PFF, using PFF's data, the Vikings are 7th, the Lions are 24th. Uh, the defense, the Vikings are 14th, the Lions are 27th. Offense, the Vikings are 12th, the Lions are 23rd. Strength of schedule, Minnesota's played a tougher schedule. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense for, it makes sense for you to close them up, right? 10 and 2 versus 5 wins, it's closer than that. It doesn't make sense for you to say the 5 win team is better. Yeah, that's where I, I, I'm the sucker, right? I'm just jumping on the Vikings. I think it's the right move. 
I, I'm I'm usually so cautious, right? I don't think the win loss total, the win loss column is a great descriptor of the team. You're not what your record is, Bill Parcells. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're something else. Sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes you are what your record is. Yeah. So it's not always a great descriptor. There's, um, you have to look at uh, at other indicators, but in this one, I want to lean Minnesota. All that said, I mean, Detroit was, Minnesota was way better than Detroit last year, right? And you've got, you know, last play upset, Goff throwing a game-winning touchdown against the Vikings and all that stuff. They, It's another division matchup where you're going to play tough, and all that stuff's fine, but I don't know if that's enough to say, hey, Detroit's favorite over Minnesota. Yeah. Like, I, if Minnesota was, you know, minus one and a half, it'd be like, all right, fine. Right. That would make more sense to me. Um, but also remember, it's another one of those games division games at this point in the season generally that's how it works we we've seen it already and the first time we saw it like Detroit got up out to a two touchdown lead um you know Minnesota pegged it back and then ended up getting the win overall but it was a very close game then where you could definitely argue that Detroit was the better team um they were up by 10 multiple or up by at least 10 multiple times in the game ended up being Vikings 28 to 24 with a game-winning touchdown in the fourth that's the one where I would say it feels like it's it's a matchup driven call here. The fact that Detroit's matched up well with Minnesota, less about this team's ten and two, this team's five yeah, and seven in here. the game. But even then, like when again, when you break it down into components, I don't think it holds up. Like the the, the Lions don't have anybody that can cover Justin Jefferson. That's not unique to the Lions, but it's true. The Lions don't have the pass rush that can bother Minnesota. The Vikings, though have Zadarius Smith leads the NFL in pressures. And by the way, he gets fully 50% of his pressures up the middle. Yeah, but you're just, you're focused on some of these like, like individual matchups are fun to discuss and yeah. everything, but they don't move the needle that but, much. But all in, of in them the favor Minnesota. No, I don't think so. The Lions have matched up very well against them. Here's the, here's Where's the, other the thing area to, that the Lions are better? They have a much better defense now than they did previously. The, the totality of the Lions have a better, they, the Lions have a good offensive line. Yes. That's playing well. Goff has uh, played all right in that if, you know, he's gotten away with some stuff. But Amon even... St. Brown, like the the entire Lions receiving core now against the Vikings receiving core, is there that big of a difference? Yes. No. Yes. Amon St. Brown, DJ Chark, and now Jamison Williams back? Jamison Williams ran eight, ran two pass patterns last week. Yeah, now he'll, he'll so run eight ten. Eight snaps. Yeah. Yeah. Speed threat. <laughs> I mean, the just, Lions' pass game has been better than the Vikings the majority of the season. That's the truth. The gap between Where's Justin ETA Jefferson and, and the go. next guy is colossal for, a, for either team in this game. Um, and as much as Detroit do have a good offensive line, but they've been the problem area is inside and in pass protection, which is where Zadarius Smith does most of his damage. So that, like, that's not necessarily a, a Detroit advantage. I'm looking up past game EPA this year. Detroit's definitely higher than the Vikings. Okay. Right? Lions are eighth. Vikings are, let me scroll down here, 19th. So it doesn't matter, like, the, oh, they have Justin Jefferson. It doesn't matter because you're talking about the whole matchup. Who's got a better passing offense this year? It's the Lions. We get that on a, on a quote graphic. It doesn't matter that they have Justin Jefferson. Steve Palazzolo. Now you're spreading misinformation. <laughs> I, I think you'll find those are the words that came out of your mouth. Yeah, can we go back to the context of it? No, that's not how that works. Because you're playing individual matchups. I'm saying the Lions have a better 
overall receiving core. I actually just said comparable receiving core, and you thought I was an idiot because you're just overweighing Justin Jefferson's contributions here. Okay. When they're not getting enough help. Well, you need to take the Lions. No, I'm taking the Vikings. Hmm. <laughs> that, was what I, that was my first instinct. Got to stick with it. I don't think you do. You've just talked your, your way into this being a Detroit That's when I get into success. trouble. Once I start talking, that's when I get into trouble. Yeah, I believe that's true. Um, not trying to get completely off the rails here, but um, the Anthony Richardson declaring for the draft discussion. Rich, had that. The Lions are picking in the top 10 right now. Yeah. Right? And Richardson feels like the perfect quarterback with incredible tools, size, power, speed, arm strength, who needs work, feels like the perfect quarterback to draft when you have maybe another year of Jared Goff in this system, right? Because Goff, you know, Lions are making a little run here mm -hmm. with Goff at quarterback. He might be the bridge to, say, an Anthony Richardson next year. We'll talk about that plenty this offseason. Um, I took Minnesota. I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I'm also a, taking Minnesota. And you are too because Justin Jefferson's better than all the Lions put together. Yeah. All right, great. Philadelphia Eagles at the New York Giants. Eagles favored by seven here over the Giants. Another one of these fun NFC East battles. Lion, uh, Eagles are 11-1. Giants 7-4-1 now in third place in the division. Yeah. the uh, I mean, the wheels haven't fallen off, but we've got a two-game losing skid and then a tie for New York after starting so well. Um, it's tough to find, I mean, again, I'm back in the individual matchups kick, but it's tough to find ways where the Giants are better than the Eagles, basically anywhere. Yeah. I mean, okay, how are the Giants going to pull this upset? I think you look at what Washington did to pull the upset against the Eagles. The Giants like to run the ball. Uh, they've had some effectiveness running the ball. Daniel Jones, you know, when he has those games where he picks up five or six first downs on the ground I think that's it right if you can run the ball and and have it have it perfectly timed up so you're getting three to five a clip right like literally three to five to just keep the offense on schedule and then it's third and three and you convert and it's third and four and you convert and you keep the Eagles off the field and then the Eagles turn it over three times you add it all up that's how you pull off the upset if you're the Giants like basically the answer to every game where it's like how does one team dramatically out class to beat the other team the answer Play is better. random ass turnovers yeah turnover win the turnover battle yeah like if you can just get three or four random balls to bounce your way you're winning you're the in, red zone you're laughing i would win in the red zone okay if i were a coach right the vikings i saw that um somebody had tweeted the other day vikings are winning in the red zone you know i would i would emphasize more of that well the titans were doing that as well until they uh until they maybe Vrabel's de-emphasized it slapped the red zone gods in the face by kneeling down rather than putting another touchdown on the board yeah should have. since that point hasn't looked as good just saying if I were a coach I would I would focus on the most valuable plays being good on those most valuable plays the highest leverage plays in a game huh. win those you'll be better over time yeah that would be my strategy okay what, are you, what else are you looking for? I, mean, I would simply coach my players to be better. Uh, see, that's a good idea. Play better football. This is interview type be stuff. Be better than your opposition. Yeah, this is just like if I was GM, I'd pick the best players. Mm. I would simply score more points than the, the opposition right every game. That would be my strategy to win. Tough to argue with that one. Yeah. Anything else you're looking for in this one? <laughs> Leonard Williams, uh, questionable with a neck injury, leaving the, the game against the Commanders. He's 
one of the best players on the Giants and one of the you know big pieces up front as far as stopping the run and getting after the QB. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the like the Giants have a couple of good players up front. Leonard Williams, if he plays, Dexter Lawrence is having a career year. The Eagles have the best offensive line in the NFL, though. It's unlikely to be enough. Um, I I just find it very hard to find ways where the Giants can get much good happening in this game, whereas you can definitely see Philadelphia having a good degree of success because um, they've shown themselves to be like just so good at winning in a variety of different ways. Um, it's a big line, but I still think I'd take Philadelphia. Eagles have uh, the Giants twice in the last five weeks. They have um, the Christmas Eve matchup against the Cowboys, which should be one of the games of the year. But the, you know, if the Eagles have a pretty good path to one of the best records of all time here. We've never seen a 15 and two team, and Correct. they could easily be 15 and two. Yeah, and they're uh, they're five weeks away from tying the 2007 New England Patriots for the most regular season wins of all time with 16. Hmm. The uh, you know, even though it's a 17 game schedule, we, it doesn't matter. Yeah. All the records are records. Wink Martindale and the, the Giants blitz. Uh, Jalen Hurts played pretty well against the blitz. Seven touchdowns, one interception, pretty healthy PFF grade, uh, very healthy passer rating. There's nothing in there to say, hey, this would be a particularly ugly matchup simply from a schematic point of view. Like that's something that could offset just being worse. It doesn't feel like it's going to be that. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's the story of the Giants season. They blitz like crazy. It creates some variance. Um, their blitz saved a potential loss against the Packers when you know Aaron Rodgers is leading the comeback drive you get a, you know a couple yeah. of batted passes that's a key point rushers that's you're increasing variance as a blitz heavy team like that, that is a key point that even if it's even if Jalen Hurts is generally very very good against the blitz or under pressure simply blitzing this amount opens up a whole world of variance where it can go either very good or very bad um but it makes it a lot more difficult to predict so if again how does team x beat team y for no good reason that's part of it like maybe maybe all of their blitzes work this week you know maybe they go on a run where they dial them up at the perfect time three or four times and it creates something special for them even if it's not turnovers even if it's just stops on third down every time right like that is a way that it could happen but there's nothing in the data or the tape to say that it should all right i'm taking the eagles to cover the seven even on the road here are you taking them as well yep all right all right both taking the Eagles, covering the seven. All right, Baltimore Ravens at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers favored by two and a half here. Mm-hmm. Um, Lamar Jackson injured last week. He's uh, day-to-day to career-ending, right? It was, uh, what was the uh, – not really. I'm that just, was Justin Fields, day-to-day for the rest of the season. Yeah. Uh, Lamar was days to weeks, which is a little bit I think bit he was just week-to-week, week, wasn't he? Day-to-day or week-to-week. What's he officially? It's going to be officially questionable. Knee isn't practicing, didn't practice on Wednesday. So let's assume it's Tyler Huntley. Yep. And Huntley, he wasn't great last year, but you know, he was very good in, a, in several games for the Ravens. But they didn't win a ton of games down the stretch. Yeah, he was fine. Um, and honestly, last year, there really wasn't a drop-off when Lamar Jackson went out and Tyler Huntley came in. Not because Tyler Huntley can replicate Lamar Jackson, but because Lamar wasn't playing that good when he went out. Like, that's the kind of understated thing of Lamar. I, I don't know if, if um, we've reached this sort of backlash world where people are a little bit afraid to criticize Lamar Jackson because it was, such, it was such ridiculous criticism of him to begin with. You know, like... We're not afraid. Bill Polian, he should move to wide receiver, this kind of thing, right? 
there was a lot of crap talked about Lamar Jackson that was absurd on its face to start with. Um, and then obviously he showed up in year two as an MVP candidate that I think now that for the last couple of years, Lamar hasn't really played at the level that he played at when he was his MVP. And also he started seasons well and then tailed off as the year's gone on for a couple of years now. You don't hear that a lot. And I don't know if it's because people are sort of afraid to give voice to it simply because of the ridiculousness that was there to begin with and then the backlash to that. So you're sort of afraid to criticize him now. But the gap between him and Tyler Huntley last year when he went out was insignificant. And then the gap between Tyler Huntley and Josh Johnson when he got that one game was insignificant. Like the the three quarterbacks didn't really change the performance of the offense. What really hurt Baltimore down the stretch was injuries everywhere else. Like the the entire secondary getting hurt. Yeah, Lamar Jackson's passing grade is kind of settled in. You know, the MVP season, he was at 82. He's been in the low 70s. Um, Sorry, he's 74 in 20. 65 and 21 72 this year right so he's been 10 to 15 points lower in pff pass grade lamar since that mvp caliber season but again the thing that has always made him special is what he does as a runner Mm -hmm. um tyler huntley can't replicate that but they do run a similar offense right they're still going to run qb power and counter and, and everything off of that um so there's there's similarities in scheme the difference is a lot of times when you need third and four you can run Lamar up the middle or he's going to you know, scramble for a first down or whatever it might be in key situations. Um, all that said, the Ravens have had all their issues in the fourth quarter, you know, shutting down opposing, just shutting down games when they've had leads. And that hasn't only been the defense blowing it, that's been the offense turning it over, whether it's Gus Edwards fumbling, Lamar trying to throw pick sixes, all that stuff early in the season. So um, there's a lot of, you're right, you can't, Nobody's criticizing Lamar here, but it's just realistically, yeah, he's not playing at the same level as the MVP season in 2019. He's still very good. He's a force multiplier for his offense. But we've also seen the drop-off from him to Huntley last year wasn't that great. That's my point, is that I don't think this is... So the line on this has moved from Baltimore favored by four to Pittsburgh by two and a half, right? Since it opened. Now, that's a huge move, and I don't think I'm... I'm not ready to buy into that. That's what I'm saying. Like, that. that's that's from when it opened to now. I don't think that you can get there by Lamar to Huntley performance-wise. I think Huntley will be a lot closer to Lamar than that kind of movement in the point spread. Um, That being said, I think it maybe should have been closer than Baltimore by four to start with. So you got Mike Tomlin and Pittsburgh, right? They're they're creeping back toward average. They're up to five and seven right now. You've got Tomlin with his uh, Man, could he get could he do it again? His non losing record. Could he get to five hundred? Above five hundred. He's got to can't get to five hundred anymore. Remaining schedule for the Steelers. They've got the Ravens twice, including this week. They also have the uh, they go to Carolina. They've got the Raiders and they have the Browns once again. So it's doable. It is doable. Uh, my question for the Steelers: They have in the last few weeks a rejuvenated run game. Uh, Najee Harris coming off of maybe his best game as a runner. Uh, they've gotten Benny Snell going. Like, they've actually gotten the running game going. Run blocking has been much better over these last couple weeks uh, overall for Pittsburgh. I don't in, – and in in Kenny Pickett has thrown the ball much better, granted, in domes, Sam. Domes um, the last two weeks. He's got to play outdoors He's got here. the gloves. He's fine. Yeah, but the, the, the air, the airflow and all that the stuff. air? That's why it's easier to throw in a dome. You have no no elements to worry about. Are you saying wind? Air, wind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would argue that there's a there's a difference between simply air <laughs> and wind. You know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean? Um, so 
it's not like the Steelers have become this crazy explosive offense or anything like that, but they've you know, been more efficient these last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, I'm a little worried about their run game continuing this success. They've been very good the last few weeks. I think the Ravens have the pieces to, uh, to slow it down. Roquan Smith playing really well against the run since coming over. I like the Ravens in this one. Yeah, I do as well. I think um, I, I just I, I think we're overreacting to Lamar not being there and Tyler Huntley coming in. I, and that's assuming that happens. Um, I think Huntley's performance will be a lot closer to Lamar than the reaction appears to be. And yeah, like Pittsburgh have been okay the last couple of weeks, largely because Kenny Pickett has been careful with the football and hasn't thrown it away as much. I, I don't know if he can keep that going against Baltimore. And even if he can, like if the Ravens don't have a giant drop off in offense because of Huntley, they're probably still a better team. Since the Roquan Smith trade, just want to highlight, he's played four games. The Ravens have had their four, uh, four out of their five best run defense grades as a team. And Roquan Smith is grading at 90 as a run defender, which to this point, I would say, here's, here's how I would describe uh, PFF grades here. I think they're really good at describing what happened, right? I, I don't think we would look at Roquan Smith having run defense grades in the 30s each of the last two years and say, hey, that must be wrong because he's come to Baltimore and he's good now. Um, I think the description of that is probably real and correct. But for whatever reason, new scheme, new usage pattern, um, better players up front, whatever it is, Roquan Smith is playing to the potential that we thought he had coming out of Georgia, playing much better and going from, you know, never having a run defense grade over 53 to, hey, it's only a four-game sample, but he's at 90 right now. And the entire run defense has looked much better with him there. I mean, there's something to it from a player evaluation standpoint, because we see this in football all the time, right? You take a guy out of one situation, put him into another one, maybe accentuate his strengths. Roquan's playing well, and we're seeing the entire Ravens defense get better. So I think that's going to maybe make Pittsburgh too one-dimensional once again, which has been an issue over these last couple of years. And so I like the Ravens here to, as underdogs, man, to cover the two and a half. Yep, same. All right. Um, I lost my spot again. <laughs> PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. We thank Western and Southern western and southern studio you get your mug there still so appreciate mm -hmm. all that they do for us here at the pff nfl podcast encourage everybody to get to westernsouthern.com slash pff to see what they can offer you and your entire family all right a few more games here in the quick week uh new england patriots at the arizona cardinals it's monday night football and uh patriots favored by one and a half on the road here against the cardinals what are you looking for two very difficult teams to figure out this season um they are the the patriots and the cardinals i one thing i'm fascinated by josh jones at left tackle for the arizona cardinals it was a guy that we really liked coming out of the draft um didn't really have a starting spot on that offensive line they tried him in a bunch of positions and every time he's been on the field he's looked bad except when he's played left tackle his actual position and all of a sudden he now has a run a potential play at left tackle because it looks like DJ Humphreys is, is potentially out for the year or is out for the year. Um, 
Josh Jones might actually show that he could be you know, starting left tackle going forward for them because he's played well at left tackle when he's played. Every other position's been ugly. But I'm kind of curious to see if that can keep going against the Patriots, who have one of the best pass rushes in the NFL, who between um, Josh Uche, Dietrich Wise, and Matthew Judon have a lot of pressure off the edge. This is a good test for Josh Jones to see if he can keep that going. Yeah, he's he's an interesting one. It's, it is always fascinating to me when guys like a Josh Jones who played tackle end up moving to guard. Uh, we remember we saw this with Joe Dahl years ago. They, they look like finesse type of tackles. Yeah. And then they become guards where it's like, all right, you know, man up and right. block these 330, 350 pound, you know, athletic freaks when it's like they actually feel like there are some more guys athletic where, tackle yeah. type players. There are some guys types. where it makes sense. And then there are other guys where you're like, you're only putting that guy inside because his arms are short. But like he doesn't yeah. play like a guard. Like Ezra Cleveland never made any sense to me. The Vikings left guard. He looked like he's another one I'm thinking a lean, of too, yeah. finesse, you know, in space kind of tackle. And they're like, no, you're playing guard. He's developed though. He has, but but I still kind of wonder like what would he look like at left tackle? You yeah. know what I mean? Like if he was playing left tackle where he played in college, would he be a good left tackle? Would you have not needed to drive Christian Darasaw? You know, like maybe he's okay at guard, but maybe he'd be better at left tackle. Or, yeah. and maybe this is just his level, but. Want to see the other, you know, on the, when Arizona has the ball here, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, that receiving group, we've seen, I guess we, we might oversight. Oh, Bill, Bill Belichick likes to take away your best weapon. I, I, I think that's true when that guy is a tight end. You know, I think Bill Belichick does a really good job of saying, uh, I'm not letting this tight end, uh, beat me because it's easier to deploy resources to take away you know to double a tight end in the middle of the field to take away what they do we've seen justin jefferson torch the patriots uh, you know thanksgiving mm -hmm. and we saw stefan diggs and gabriel davis as far as getting open pretty much dominate the patriots corners um diggs was open every single time they needed a first down conversion in yeah. buffalo so well what was interesting DeAndre is hopkins here you know similar type of caliber receiver this week with both of those guys you didn't see anything necessarily from New England that seemed to dedicate extra attention to them. And I don't know if this is an, an indication now of they just don't have a Stephon Gilmore to say, go take that guy away and we'll figure it out everywhere else. Um, not to say that that guy would be on Justin Jefferson or Stephon Diggs, but they don't have anybody that can take away anybody one-on-one. -on -one. So yeah. what you're left with is well, like, just let's just play it straight up because we can't, like, you can't double team this guy because then somebody else is wide open and we don't trust them either. At some point, shouldn't this Arizona offense be good? Yeah. Like, that's what I'm waiting for, right? I mean, so when DeAndre Hopkins came back, there was a little bit more aggressiveness to it. And and then they finally got Marquise Brown back, what, two weeks ago. Like, that whole, the, the totality of that offense should be better um when you do have hopkins when you do have marquise brown two different skill sets because early in the early in the season marquise brown was a he was a pretty good player for them right and it's like okay when you get both of these guys out there you should be able to spread the ball around in different ways you've got your speed receiver you've got your uber possession guy in nuke hopkins um, a lot of it will come down to the offensive line which has all those injuries you mentioned josh jones uh moving players around but like, shouldn't the offense be good Shouldn't Kyler Murray have more than, what, 2% big-time throw rate and all that fun stuff? Yes. I mean, obviously, it should be better than it's been so far, and we've seen it be better. So that's another one. Like Tampa Bay, we are like, in theory, this should be functioning better than it is, and I don't really know why it isn't other than 
<laughs> right now, nobody's playing well. All right, on the other side, New England's offense, you know, the last time we saw them, Thursday night football, cornerback Marcus Jones has a 48-yard screen pass, and then that's it. Hmm. The entire offense. Uh, everyone in New England saying the offense is in shambles. It's it's Matt Patricia. And this isn't like a new story that just showed up in November or December. This was in May they were talking about this in New England, that this uh, that the move to Matt Patricia as offensive coordinator and all that uh, was not going to work. Yeah, I mean, it, and it so, hasn't. Yeah, there are times where, again, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you're like, well, okay, this is a problem. What's causing it? There are other times like this where you're like, immediately when Josh McDaniels leaves and the Patriots don't really do anything to hire a new offensive coordinator, it's like, well, that's weird. And then it's you get closer to the season. It's like, what are the Patriots even doing at offensive coordinator? Is it going to be Bill calling plays? Who's going to? And then it becomes you know evident as time goes on that it's some combination of Patricia and Joe Judge. And it's sort of more Patricia, but like at no point did it ever sound like a good idea. And it's like, ah, I'm sure Bill Belichick knows what he's doing. You know, he's winning his coach for wherever. Like he'll, he'll be the guy, he'll, he'll get it done. And now the offense is struggling. Matt Jones is regressing. Everything's going bad. And you're like, this is kind of what everybody thought would happen. It's very easy to join these two dots. You know, at this point, Occam's razor says this is tr- Patricia's fault, essentially. If you look at New England season, the, the offense showed signs of life, maybe week three against the Ravens before Mac Jones got hurt, with uh, Bailey Zappi at quarterback for a game or t- for two games, basically against the Lions and the Browns. A little bit against, uh, definitely against the Vikings on Thursday Night Football, where they scored 26 points, which usually could have been, you know, 30 if you get Hunter Henry into the end zone on the play that you want to give him. Yep. But that's it. I mean, when you're looking back, here are the offensive games uh, that are highlights for New England. There's three or four of them. Yeah. And, and, and if you thought that they turned a corner on Thanksgiving and Mac Jones had his best game by far of the entire season, well, he came back and they scored one touchdown on a screen to a corner. And that was it. And they had nothing else. So um, I think they'll have some success against Arizona, whose defense has been you know pretty rough on the back end. So I think we might see some some points in this one at some point i'm expecting arizona's offense to break out so let's just randomly predict it's going to be this week uh okay i'll take arizona to cover uh, the one and a half here on the road i'm taking you i mean at home i'm taking new england you're going opposite i have more confidence in new england figuring something out this week than i do arizona any special call of duty no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into it we can go uh make your call of duty picks on price picks you can you can't. They cover that. Maybe Kyler's there. Kyler should use, uh, what's our promo code? PFF1? Yeah. Should use PFF1 to make his Call of Duty picks. What are you picking? I wonder if you can have like What do your a, entries look like? I wonder if you can have a multiple entry thing that has Kyler in Call of Duty and Kyler in the NFL game at the same time. Oh, that'd be amazing. I wonder <laughs> if he's actually good at Call of Duty. I don't know. Are you good? Anyway. Carolina Panthers at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks favored by four here against Sam Darnold's Panthers. Sam Darnold's Panthers. Can Sam Darnold back up? So he had a good game. Mm-hmm. Lost a little momentum with a bye, maybe. Maybe. After his last decent game against Denver. Yep. So what do you expect in this one? Seattle by four. Um, I think, again, Mina was tweeting about how amazing Geno Smith's deep ball has been. So I got like 12 touchdowns, one interception, something like that. He's even taken the deep ball from Russell Wilson. It's phenomenal, actually, the, yeah. the, how he stepped in. Um, yeah, so Gino's also settled back in as like a mid-tier quarterback. However, you, I mean, we, we you know take out these games, take out those games. 
But since week five or six, he's middle of the pack. And the whole Seahawks have, kind of. You know, they sort of surprised people. Gino was playing amazingly. They jumped up everybody's sort of rankings of how good we thought they were. Their defense was playing much better than we thought it could be. And then quietly, the last few games, they've sort of settled back down. And they're, they're kind of grinding through games that we thought would be much more comfortable for them. Um, and this might be a better indication of where they were. Like, they lose to Tampa Bay in the close one in Germany. Um, they lose to the Raiders. Like, these are not games we thought they should have lost. They beat the Rams, but it was a grind. Like, we were wondering why that game was close. You know what I mean? Yeah, the Seahawks' defense is what really concerns me. From, like, a Geno Smith standpoint, I, I think I said this to you the other day. I didn't check on it, but it does feel like most of his turnover-worthy plays are thrown into the end zone. He's had so many dropped picks in the end zone. Um, but what I'm most impressed about is, hey, when they needed that comeback drive the other day, it could be Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. I mean, that was the story of the game. The offensive line didn't play their best game last week. Yeah. Um, other things maybe fell apart, but the value of Geno Smith, who, again, when we evaluate quarterbacks, we say, here are some misses, here are some positive throws, whatever. The the Even if you have a game where you miss more throws than you should, or you put a couple in harm's way, come crunch time, can Geno Smith get the ball to his playmakers? Absolutely. And he did it. And I think that's what makes the Seahawks still scary because you don't, it's not about you have a guy that's going to play perfect ball every single week. You have a really good foundation in the passing attack. And that was what always made Seattle, as much as we may have criticized their roster this offseason, it was like if you just have a guy that can distribute to DK and Tyler Lockett and even like a Noah Fant as a complimentary piece, that is a, that's a better foundation than most in the most important part of the football team where if you just get a reasonable offensive line play and reasonable defense, maybe something good can happen. That's Seattle season to me in a nutshell, right? Is the foundation of the pass game is good because Geno Smith has taken a big step forward. But the defense is what yeah. scares me in Seattle. I'm excited to see another matchup of Seattle's receivers against a good corner. Um, JC Horn is trending on Twitter like every couple of days because his numbers are just insane. He is giving up a pass rating this season of 38.3 which gives a, a passer rating of 34.3 for his entire career, because obviously last year didn't last very long. Um, since coming into the NFL, he's given up 146 yards. That's impressive. Yeah. Now, again, it's basically this season plus, what, a couple of games of last year, so it's not like the greatest sample in the world, but that's a very small number. He hasn't been beaten for a catch longer than 19 yards in the NFL. He's been beaten for one touchdown. Like his numbers are pretty absurd, and he now has to go up against a guy like DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. That'll be pretty fun to watch. Uh, we've got uh, Seattle also completely depleted as far as running backs go. You've got Kenneth Walker, DJ Dallas, and Travis Homer, all pretty hurt. Um, Tony Jones, I believe, might be the guy in line to start. Um, for whatever that's worth, whatever Seattle did not run block well last week against the Rams. They're you know Donald donaldless front it, it could be a one-sided affair i'm looking at the spread thinking seattle should be a much better team right mm. why is it four at home yeah i think it's honestly the, the running back injuries the idea that seattle could end up becoming one-dimensional against carolina and then is there a little bit of faith that darnold can have another good game here and i think that seattle has been playing down to competition in the last few weeks like they have come off the boil they're not the same the last 10 years the last 10 years seattle plays um, close games <laughs> yeah all right so all that said where are you going with this one seattle by four i don't like it but i'm taking seattle yeah 
I'll take Seattle. By I'm never, points. I'm never, ever picking. Nobody ever likes the Seahawks pick. No, I'm just never, I'm never picking Sam Darnold to cover a spread ever. Oh, it's never happening. Not, you probably I'm said that about Geno Smith at some point too. And look at you. Well, maybe, but he's playing better now, so I'm not going to say it. But I'm never, never doing with Darnold. Ever. What if he plays better, like like Geno does? No. Darnold's going to look at Geno across and be like, "You're my hero." Former yeah. Jet makes good in a new spot, right? That's <laughs> what, that's what. There's Sam's. my pathway. By the way, it's so funny because Geno Smith was a borderline first rounder. Darnold obviously was a first rounder. Um, I used to call Geno Smith Mr. Week 17 because he would always finish the season great. Yeah. And then Darnold in his first season, his like last four weeks, he was our third highest graded quarterback or whatever it was. And those are good. Those are like he's getting better stories. Yeah, to tell for the entire offseason, but they don't matter, right? They don't actually translate. But now Geno Smith is actually getting better, and the story is is kind of true. But because but you don't always see that. That's all. Yeah, I don't think it will be. You know, I don't think Darnold's going to get better. Kansas City Chiefs at the Denver Broncos. Once upon a time, a Sunday night football matchup. Yes. You know, the schedule makers are like, of course we want Patrick Mahomes versus, versus Russell Wilson. Their first ever division matchup, AFC West. Title might be on the line. We're going to put it on Sunday night football in early December. This is genius. Chris was, you know, doing backflips. You know, they were all excited about this one. That's been flexed out for two versus Herbert. Yeah. Nine yeah. and a half point spread here. That's favorite. how bad Russell Wilson has been that we we don't want you against Patrick Mahomes in prime time get out of here it's not just Russell Wilson no it's pretty much just Russell Wilson as I highlighted the other day Russ's individual grades are getting better (laughs) and the offense (laughs) is still not doing anything yeah when you say getting better they're still not good yeah I'm just saying he's, he's played better these last few weeks he has individually yeah yeah you're right the problem is now more that everything around him is terrible. Like before when it was really, really bad, it was he's playing terribly and the offense is bad and everything around him is is terrible, except the defense, obviously, which is the one thing that's been good all season long. But like the everything was, was stank. Now Russell Wilson has started to play better, but everything else still stinks, so it doesn't actually matter. Like the offense and the play calling and everything around, like the whole thing is still functionally not working so it almost doesn't matter it doesn't matter that russell wilson is playing better because it's not enough to offset the the bad that's happening he's up to he's still stuck on eight touchdowns yeah fewer fewer than the bedrooms of the house toilets sorry toilets yes how many toilets 12 12 it is getting a little iffy it is interesting that russ only has five interceptions though one of the best interception rates one of the best turnover worthy play rates and i think that kind of sums up the offense right when you're not grading that well and the grades not being dragged down by turnover worthy plays which we're going to grade harshly something's missing what's missing all the positive plays right there's just not enough offense being created opportunities in the past game whatever it might be it does seem like denver is good for like one good drive per week and if it's if it comes at the beginning of the game it's like okay maybe they figured it out and then other times it just comes at the end of the game like oh maybe Maybe Russ should just be in hurry up, you know, like the thing we say about Brady. Uh, maybe just, you know, put him in the, you know, no huddle and let him go. But it's really just this consistent, you're going to get one good drive yeah. from Denver. And he they has, might not even finish it. They might not put it in the end zone. Right. He has seven games with zero turnover-worthy plays this year. Mahomes has three. Two has four. He's got the same numbers two and Mahomes put together. Yeah. Like he really, but I mean. It doesn't matter because you're not creating offense. Yeah. And also the, the, 
<laughs> the times where he does have turnover-worthy plays, they come in bunches, which doesn't help. Yeah, he's got and a I four bet, and a three. Right. I bet if you look, they're all the primetime games as well. He doesn't have one game with – he doesn't have a game with only one turnover-worthy. Correct. Play. They're all multiple. He has either multiple or none. Well, either way, I think Russell Wilson himself has thrown the ball better in recent weeks. Indy was prime time, right? Yeah, that was Thursday night football. Yeah, that was four. Tennessee. No, San Francisco was prime time too. We had zero. Yeah. Okay. Tennessee wasn't prime time. No. So you're wrong. But the Colts one was the one with four. So yeah, stuck in your head. That Thursday will, night football. That will twelve to nine. Change things. Twelve to nine loss against the Colts. Brutal. Um, the matchup on the other side, though, Denver's defense has been fantastic. And they get to go up against this Chiefs offense, which has also been fantastic. So mm-hmm. that's at least must-see must see TV here in the 4 o'clock window. Yeah, that is fun. I mean, we just saw Cincinnati again gave Kansas City some trouble, relatively speaking, um, with their defense. Like, Denver has a defense that can do that to teams. I mean, the stat that they beat 10-2 and two or whatever, if, if the offense could just score 18 points a game this season, like, if they can do that to Kansas City this year or this week— it's probably not enough to win the game, but it, it's a hell of an achievement. Denver's defensive MO, as we, we've talked about a little bit, has been a lot of um, play well for 90, 95% of the plays. You yeah. give up a you know, 65-yard touchdown here and there, busted coverage. I mean, Kansas City's obviously capable of creating all those explosive plays too. So it has the makings of maybe another really frustrating yeah. day for the Denver defense where you're going to play your heart out and give up 21 or I mean, something you, to Kansas like, City. If you, you hold, if you hold Mahomes and Kansas City to 21, you know. Or like, I mean, imagine if they do it again, if they hold them to 18 and Denver's offense scores like 10 and then just can't get anything going for the last three drives. You know, has three shots of win, has three shots at executing a drive to tie the game. Can't get it done in any one of them. Yeah. So nine and a half here. Um, I think Denver's defense might make it close enough, but... Still trust I trust Kansas City's offense <laughs> to uh, they, they even in in Mahomes' worst games and Kansas City's offense worst games they usually find ways to get points on the board and Denver has found ways to never put points on the board no matter who plays well and who doesn't on their team. So, what do you think without looking that the over under is on this game? Forty one, forty four, forty four. That feels high. Yeah, but I mean, look. When Kansas City's had to play really good defenses, right? They destroyed San Francisco. Um, the Bucks, at the time that they played them, looked really good defensively. And Kansas City, I don't even think they had a, a, a bad play in that game. They scored 41. Kansas City does have a knack for saying, oh, you're a great defense? I, you know, I'll take you out. Um, Kansas City might have lulls against you know, the Colts or the Titans randomly, or the, you know, get, get into some turnover, bad luck or whatever. So you're counting on Kansas City to put up 30, maybe? 30 to 11? And still <laughs> under? You know, I mean, this is... Yeah. It's a tough one to reach. It is. I Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, 11 points feels like an entirely reasonable number for Denver's offense. At which point... Any Can- week. Yeah. In at which point, week. Kansas City's offense at that stage needs to do quite a lot against a very good Denver defense to cover that over. Yeah. What's the app say? Where are you going with this game? Uh, I am going to lean Denver to keep it closer than nine and a half. The app likes the over. Really? I think the app still thinks Russell Wilson's pretty good, maybe. Huh. The app likes the over. All right. Uh, I'll take... I mean, it is worth pointing out that the app has a dramatically better success rate than either of us do this year, so... Did I take Denver? 
You did. Are we overrating the fact that Kansas City happened to lose? They weren't. I don't think they played a bad game last week. It was just two really good teams. No, but I think we did see that that a good defense and one that plays smart football, those defenses are not dissimilar, um, can cause them some issues and keep them not to 30, you know, keep them to 20 something. At which point, again, like if you keep, if this offense scores 24 points this week, Denver just needs to get to 15. 15. I might, I might take not even 18. Not even the 18 that would get them to 18 to 10 and 2. I don't want to switch two. my picks. Because <laughs> that's not making me a good case. Den- uh, Denver just has to get to 15. I'll take Denver. That's what I said hours ago. All right, two more games. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Tennessee Titans. We talked a little bit about Titans general manager John Robinson got fired yesterday. Discussed that on yesterday's show. And Trevor Lawrence is going to be questionable here. Titans favored by four. Um, obviously, whether or not Trevor Trevor Lawrence can go should be a big factor here. Jacksonville was destroyed by Detroit last week, trying to cover four here against the Titans. Yeah, um, and there's a reasonable chance that Trevor Lawrence doesn't play. He's been on the injury report. He's questionable, I think. Looking at that knee injury, I'm amazed he came back into the game last week, so I can kind of see that. Yeah, he came right um, back. Not to, you know relate my experiences with an NFL player, a professional athlete, and a man who's heard of a recovery room? Oh, you should, because I, uh, I, I, I compare my uh, phantom calf injury to real calf injuries all the time. Okay. So go for it. But I've sprained knees badly before and played on, I think, in every single occasion during the game. Like, it didn't, you know, it hurt. And then you're like, oh, it's nothing's, it appears to be structurally intact. So let's keep going. Yeah. You know, you play another hour. And then later that day, is when I think you realize the folly of having played on for another hour on the injured knee. I don't know if that's what happened to Trevor Lawrence. You know, they took him in, they scanned it, you're like, nah, nothing's broken, you're good to go. You went back out there, and then like later on, it really kicked in. But I could definitely see he has a sprained knee, which apparently stopped short of being really badly wrecked, and that flared up in a bad way after that game, and maybe that's why now he's questionable versus... You know, was able to play on during the game yeah obviously so that'll be a big factor Lawrence um you know I, I'm not saying throw last week out like you would but that was the first time he wasn't grading above 79 in a game in a while played half the game you know injured and the whole deal but he was on a good little run between the Raiders Chiefs and then uh Ravens games was on a really nice run where uh, maybe he was a top 10 quarterback finally for five minutes yeah turned yeah. a corner now he turned a corner um the grade's up to 70 this year for Lawrence. Um, if C.J. Beathard has to go, he had like a 95 grade last year on four throws, so maybe yeah. it's an upgrade. Maybe. Feels unlikely, but sure. Let's see C.J. Beathard's career grades. Because <laughs> we, you know, we like to talk about Kyle Shanahan and how special he is, yeah. right? Under Kyle Shanahan, C.J. Beathard with grades of 59, 64, 67. Now, enter Urban Meyer... Mm-hmm. Under Urban Meyer, C.J. Beathard with a PFF grade of 95. Yeah. On how many dropbacks? He was two for two for 33 yards, including a big-time throw Okay, last year. Yeah. But then he's regressed back to a 56 this year, two for three, <laughs> under Doug Peterson. Yeah. I'm just saying, if, if C.J. Beathard is the starter, maybe this is a, this is a time to uh, give Urban a call. Mm. How do you unlock C.J. Beathard the way you did last year? He just needs to be kicked weekly. <laughs> Um, so I think that's going to be a big factor. On the other side, uh, Tennessee, one of our favorite teams to figure out here, not running the ball 
as consistently as they have in the past. Offensive line beat up. Ryan Tannehill not playing at the same level as he has in the past. Um, flashes of Traylon Burks, you know, maybe breaking out as a as a first round player. Great catch last week before he got absolutely wrecked. Um, what do you make of the Titans here at this point? Yeah, they're in a tough also spot. Also haven't beaten a good team. Yeah, they're in a tough spot. Um, I think this season makes a little bit more sense than last season because I think you can kind of track it to they tend to beat bad teams and don't beat good teams, uh, which makes me think they win this game because Jacksonville is a bad team who might not have their quarterback. Um, I, I also think that this is a defense where they can kind of get some success going again with Derrick Henry, even if the offensive line isn't good. Um I think Jacksonville generally are reasonable against a run, but they tend to jump out of gaps. Like they're, they're not gap sound as much as other defenses. So overall, they do a reasonable job, yeah. but they can blow some big plays here and there, and that's kind of all you need for Derrick Henry to you know, catch a crease and be gone. It seems like there's a bunch of these division matchups where we're seeing it for the first time this week, and then we're going to see it again five weeks later to end the season. This is the first time these teams will play. Um, I'm always interested in the, uh, I saw him described as the least talked about number one overall pick in NFL history, Trayvon Walker, because he's hmm. it's just a, he's an edge defender first. He's not a quarterback and he's doesn't have 10 sacks, right? He's not playing like the number one overall pick, but the, I'm always interested in the Jaguars pass rush because I feel like the potential is there for Josh Allen. They've got decent depth there rushing the passer. Is this one of the weeks against the worst pass pass blocking team in the NFL grade wise where we could see Trayvon Walker um, break out we could see Josh Allen have one of those those big games is this a week where the Jaguars pass rush can have some success keep it nice and close I mean if it isn't what are they even doing like this is a this is a bad pass blocking offensive line if you can't have success against it what are you what are you gonna do you need to be better even like Josh Allen the other Josh Allen the Josh Allen that only reclaims his name against Josh Allen. He slowed down again. Yeah, yeah. So he started the season, was like a, a 90 grade for a while, was one of the best pressure uh, edge rushers in the NFL. Really slowed down over the last few weeks. Um, again, against guys that are not like the best pass blockers in the world. It's not like you just say, oh, he just ran up against, you know, a run of Trent Williams, David Bakhtiari, Ronnie Stanley or whatever. Like that's not what happened to him. He's just not performing at the same level. Jaguars also, if you have uh, premium stats, PFF plus, um, worst tackling grade in the NFL in Jacksonville. So O-line or not, Derrick Henry, you know, has that opportunity to uh, to just reel off 100, 150 yards, get the Titans back on track from a run game perspective. Yeah, a lot of guys that have missed quite a lot of tackles. You've got the benching of Devin Lloyd after he started the season so good. Um, Chad Muma has been, I think, probably better, but if not massively so not to the point where you'd be like yeah this is definitely i mean they're just kind of chaotic right now i'm gonna take the jags if trevor lawrence plays though okay um can i do that uh, yeah we allowed we, you did, we that, did it last you week did that last week right so i'll take the jags as four point underdogs if lawrence plays if not i'll take tennessee to cover the four i am taking tennessee to cover the four either way all right, time for the game of the week. The Houston Texans at the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys favored by 16 and a half, maybe 17. Maybe, 16 a, maybe a million by the time we get to game time. That's the largest line I can remember for a while. Oh, there was a bunch of these last year. Were there? Oh, yeah. Six, they got up to 17. Buffalo and the Jets and everything. Man, that's a big number. We saw a bunch of these last year. There were a lot of big Buffalo like, and like, I know Houston. we had a lot of 14-plus points. It's up to 18 now. 
Oh, 18? Well, that's going to change my pick. Yeah? No. <laughs> I took Dallas. Davis Mills is back in for Kyle Allen. Wait, there's like a different line everywhere you look. This is chaotic. What's it there? It's either a, it's a massive number. 17. 17 is our that's, 17 is, that's our the final most common number. one I've seen. Yeah, 17 is our final number. I'll take Dallas going. to cover the 17 at home here. Cover 17. God, yeah. that's a lot. Dallas has that like beat up on bad teams ability. We're they getting do, Davis Mills back though, right? Davis Mills is back, yes. So we're not going to get like seven turnovers the way we might have if uh, Allen was the quarterback. No, I mean, again, not to, like, overrate the last thing that I saw, but it was a two-point game in the fourth quarter against the Colts, and then it was like, oh, don't forget, we're really good, we're the Cowboys, we're really bad, we're the Colts. And then it was, before you know, it's 54-19, to 33-0 yeah. in the fourth quarter. But isn't that a reason to think that it'll be close? No, I mean, my point is, even if the Texans keep it close, they do all these great things. Davis Mills doesn't turn it over. doesn't have mm. the turnover-worthy plays of Kyle Allen. At some point, the better team pulls away. I mean, they pull away, but maybe not to cover 17 points. Um, Laramie Tunsil, maybe the best pass-blocking tackle in the NFL this year. He's a guy that actually has a shot at shutting down Micah Parsons, or at least, you know, coming as close to shutting down Micah Parsons as one can come these days. So that will help. Um, I think having Davis Mills a quarterback will help in that he won't do the crazy things that Allen did. Um, so I think, I mean, it'll be a closer game than maybe people are expecting. Still a very comfortable Dallas win, but I feel like Houston keeps this under 17. I, I, we could turn back the tape. Was it week three last year? I said, yeah. I think I said the same thing. Yeah. Houston's gonna they're gonna keep it close against Buffalo they're uh-huh. gonna they might it might rain this weekend they're gonna keep it close I mean, you know help. it was 40 to nothing and the 17 point spread or whatever I mean look remember they, taking Dallas they played Philadelphia close-ish that was a big spread that was a Thursday 14, night game at home right that was a 14 point spread right and then end up being like a 13 point win or yeah. 12 point win or something at home on a Thursday night so and that's a that was a perfect example of what you're talking about like that was a grind for Philadelphia who pulled away late and didn't get to 14. Therefore. Therefore. Who's better, Cowboys or the Eagles? The Eagles. You think so? Yeah. So two plus two equals four, from a, which is less than 17. From a Cowboys perspective, I know this is going to sound crazy. Dak actually didn't play all that great on Sunday Night Football, despite scoring 54 points because they had all those short fields and C.D. Lamb was tackled, but he wasn't tackled, all these ways that they scored. I think that's that bodes really well for Dallas because I think Dak is very good, and you're seeing C.D. Lamb continue to elevate his game. You're seeing uh, Michael Gallup and the the complementary pieces in the pass game that weren't there at the first half of the season playing much better right now. The offensive lines coming together. Tyron Smith's coming back. He's got his practice window opened up, and of course the defense is so explosive. Sacks, turnovers, game changing plays. A lot of things coming together right now for the Cowboys. The Philadelphia game works in my favor. The Miami one, not so much. That was a 15-point uh, deficit with Miami losing their quarterback for like the majority of the back end of the game. Yeah, they still didn't come back. Like, that could have been – Yeah. I mean, that was that was like a 45-point over-under or whatever, and Miami was going to cover that on their own before Tua got hurt. I think Mills is the king of the backdoor cover, though, isn't he? It's, That's know, what they, I'm saying. They just start unleashing him in the fourth quarter. It's like, oh, there's some good throws, Davis. I'm back. This is the this is the game. I'm back in Houston to keep this within 
you know, 17 points. I Sounds think they good. can do it. That's all they can do. That's the very do you minimum. Want to make a scoregami pick? They had scoregami the other day, 54 to 19. We did. Dallas. It's true. Uh, Let's all right. say 53 to 19 scoregami. Let me dial this. up a uh, let me dial up a scoregami from the thing and then relearn how to read this. Dallas just has chart. that knack for like turnover, turnover, like what they did. I'm not saying they do this every week, all but right. they've done that against bad teams a lot the last couple of years. Give me 40. Uh, hang on, I need to work out the math to make it sure that I still cover. Uh, 17 points all right give me it's not easy to find a score economy that works and covers give me 39 to does 39 18 still get me there no no 39 39 18 never been a score apparently not no that doesn't sound right this is good podcasting right here. Oh, absolutely. It's great. Sam looks up Scorigamis. 39-22 would be a push. Yeah. So that doesn't help. That, need, that score's never happened either? I'm just reading the thing. 39-25. Hit me. Scorigami, 39-25. 39-25. There's no way Houston is scoring 25. What's my Denver Scorigami? Uh, let's see. Uh, can I do 25-7? to seven? Is there a 25 to 7? 25. No, because I picked Denver to cover. No, 25 to 7. You can 18 have, to 7. You can have 25 to 8. No, 18 to 9. 18. 18 to... Chiefs 18. 18 to 9 works. Chiefs 18 to 9. And the Broncos cover the 9. That'll be my <laughs> score, Gami, for this week. Give me... No, I want... So, uh, give me one for that, that game as well. Okay. I want 24... Uh, no, 20... 25... 25 to 9. So you have Kansas, but you, you have Denver to cover, though. Don't care. I'm, I'm, <laughs> you still I'm, I'm, we just want anything to 9. I'm hedging. We got Denver scored 9. Yeah, I'm hedging here. 25 to 9 feels right, like a score that could happen. Um, if you're a Texans fan and you feel shortchanged on the Texans analysis here on the show, you can go to yesterday's show where we did talk about the Texans and um, you know lay them in the ground as they've been eliminated from the playoffs. We talked a little bit about the Texans season. It's nothing positive, but if you do want to go listen to it, Texans fans, it is on yesterday's show. We found we found a, a ray of light in the darkness. Yeah. The upcoming draft. The upcoming draft. The yeah. running back. Yeah. All right. There's some stuff. There was stuff. All right. I think that's it. Is that all the games? Four, eight, Hopefully. 11, 13 games, six teams on by. It all adds up to me. Sounds right. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Of course, we'll be here on Monday morning recapping all of the Week 14 NFL action. Enjoy all the football, everybody. <laughs>